Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm really glad that you're with us. Very grateful for another chance to have a Bible conversation. And today's discussion is a little unique from uh, what I usually do. Usually I just have one guest, but today I have two. So we're going to have a conversation between three people instead of two, and and I am going to facilitate a discussion with brothers Nate Bibbon and Aaron Boone. Brother Nate was at the Green Oaks Congregation here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area a couple weeks ago holding a gospel meeting, and we met up for lunch, went back to the studio, and the three of us sat together and spoke off the cuff for about an hour or so about how to have a Bible study with others. This can be something that's very mystifying and people don't know where to start. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's jump in. So since people who devote themselves to this (laughs) podcast know Aaron, uh, so I'll give you first dibs. Who are you and where are you from and and what do you do? Well, I'm Nate Bibbins and I enjoy or appreciate being on the show. And I'm a preacher out in Tennessee. I live in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee work with a congregation uh, called the Springer Road Church of Christ. Uh, we've been there a little over six years. So I have a wife and, and three kids. And an old house that you've been renovating for... Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, we're, we're almost done with that. Oh, it's yeah? a 100-year-old house that um, we've been working on the past couple of years. We've moved in, and uh, now I can get some of my time back. Good. To, to be filled with other projects, or, yes. or will you <laughs> just take it back and... No, we uh, we moved in just about a year ago, and the projects have kind of stopped, but now sure. I've got to get the projects going back again to finish the house out. Sure. Uh, we've been trying to reclaim some normalcy that we lost while sure. remodeling a house. But you know what motivates you to, to remodel your house like nothing else? What's S- that? Selling your house. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's what I found. Yeah. It's like we lived with uh, laminate countertops for 10 years and then it's time to sell. We better upgrade those countertops. Yeah. I'm like, man, we just made great countertop choices for somebody well, I've, else. I've got to get this one finished because that the past two houses we've had, they got finished right before we sold them. So mm. my wife's told me she'd like this one to be finished and lived in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but she deserves that. Well, I'm glad you're here. Well, it's good and to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited for y'all's thoughts. But Dare I not let you introduce yourself in case somebody didn't know who you were. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? I'm Aaron Boone. I'm from Arlington, Texas. Kind of. I always call California home. And I work as an evangelist with the Church of Christ on Green Oaks. Mm. Uh, I've got a wife, got a little baby, and that's kind of our life right now. So I wanted you guys to talk with me about Bible studies. That's what I, you know, we've been messaging each other about. And um, I think the premise for me, just to kind of give you guys a, some frame of mind, and then also for our listeners, uh, it seems like it's this mystical, foreign, you know, only the truly knowledgeable can do it type of a thing, yeah. leading Bible studies. And when I study with young guys and when people want to know how to do it, it almost... I feel like they, they leave the conversation disappointed when I tell them it's really not that big of a deal. It's, it's just being committed to a time and, a, and, and talking and asking questions, and that's it. And they want some 
huge multi-step process. So how about we begin with this? Um, you've, you both have been preaching for a number of years. From where you started to where you are now, what's, what has um, been an appreciation you've had about leading Bible studies that maybe back when you got started, you, you kind of thought it was this mountain to climb, mm -hmm. but now it's just kind of a part of your regular routine work? I think one thing I've come to the conclusion of over the years is the simpler, the better. Um, I used to think that if you had a Bible study, I might need to make a big, long worksheet for them or right. have a bunch of notes. And um, and then what, what always happened is I felt like I was just giving another sermon. Right. And, you know, this person or group of people are sitting around and it just didn't feel very good. And I don't think they enjoyed when it. When you're the talker? Like, yes. Is that what you're saying? Like yeah. you're, you're doing all the talking and... No discussion. You right. Know? Yeah. And that can be hard because sometimes people don't want to talk. It's uncomfortable, sure. especially, you know, maybe a Bible study. We're all nervous. And so somebody's got to carry the conversation. So instead of trying to keep it really formal, really rigid, I, I just, the simpler we can keep it, whether it's a topic that we want to talk about or um, my preference is even if we're just opening up the Bible to a book, to a chapter, and let's just read and talk about the Bible and really try and keep it conversational mm. instead of, overly rigid and formal sure what about you i think one of the things that really changed for me over time was i really i realized when i was younger going into bible studies and maybe this along the same lines is what nate's talking about as i felt a lot of expectation that they would have for me i'd have all the answers i'd you know i'd be able to do this and they were expecting me to know everything and that put a lot of stress on me because then i had to know everything in my mind mm. But then as I started doing them more, I realized people are are really understanding. They're really gracious most right. of the time. Most of the time, they're really gracious. They understand that you don't know everything. And I think that was one of the big changes for me with that sim simplistic mindset that Nate's talking about is realizing that one of the paralyzing things for me going into a study was, man, what are they going to think about me? Well, number one, they're just as nervous as you are to meet with a stranger, to meet mm -hmm. with somebody, mm -hmm. talk about the Bible. But they're also human, and they typically understand you're human too, and they are willing to give grace and offer grace. And so it's not this thing that, that was the thing where, it's not this thing where you have to have every answer, be able to figure everything out on the spot. You can only teach what you know, and outside of that, people are pretty good at working with you to get to an end conclusion. Do you find that uh, when somebody has an agenda versus when somebody's kind of just, they wanted to get together to study, does that have an influence on maybe your frame of thought or, or maybe even how, what you're experiencing in the moment whenever maybe the, the study's a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, high stakes or maybe, mm -hmm. yeah, that's very almost antagonistic. Does that, how does that, encounter go different from maybe just a casual Bible study? I think when you're studying the Bible with other people, there has to be a mutual desire for for just truth. And if we're getting together just to prove points or argue, that, that's just never going to be beneficial. So anything we can do, anything I can do to try and set the right tenor, set the right attitude and... Um, is so is helpful 
because I there's no point in just getting together just to argue back and forth. But if we're coming together with a mutual respect, you know, whatever levels we're all on, that we're using the Word of God to learn and to discuss. And we may disagree about some things, maybe even very passionately, um, and that's, that's okay. That's part of that process. But you can't answer antagonism with antagonism. Um, just being gentle, uh, being, you know, Second Timothy 2.24, the servant of the Lord must be gentle with all. Uh, not quarrelsome. And I think that's when Bible studies come up, we have to really remember that. Our goal is not to quarrel and fight, uh, but to study and to learn the Word of God. I think of that proverb that says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, That makes sense. Well, it's something that Nate talked about on Wednesday night at our gospel meeting. He talked about discipleship in John chapter 1. And he talked about how in John chapter 1, one of the disciples goes and he finds Nathaniel. And he tells him about the Messiah and Nathaniel's response is basically what good could come out of Nazareth. And the point that Nate made was that the disciples' response to that was not to go into a theological argument about Nazareth and the Old Testament prophecies. It was just come and see. Come and look at what the Messiah has to offer and then you can make the decision. And so it wasn't so much his point. The biblical point is it's not so much about having to argue or respond Mm -hmm. with criticism with criticism, but just letting the gospel do what it does. And, you know, Paul says in Romans 1, the power of God is saved, not Mm -hmm. you or me. And so being able to respond to criticism or antagonistic questions or thoughts with just let's go back to the gospel is an important point to be able to figure out and learn because you feel like you want to win that battle every time, especially as a young guy. I always felt like I got to win. I have to win. And at the end of the day, all you've done is lost. Right. And so. Yeah, I think a better mindset now that I have is uh, God has to win. Right. The Word has to win. And if, if that means I can, in this study, say something that's helpful, or if that means I need to maybe take a breath because we can see that maybe emotionally it's escalating, and so I'm going to de-escalate it by just having a soft answer, and then we'll come back to the the doctrinal difference next time or whatever. But yeah. God has to win. It's not about me. It's about God. What's your best way? I mean, both of you guys, because I'm the young guy here, and so really I should be interviewing you. But uh, what's your best ways in de-escalating a situation? If somebody has an agenda, if somebody comes in with a script that they're going to go through, or what's your best way of de-escalating and working towards a calmer and a more biblically based conversation i think and this is part of the hard this is the hard part is just the attitude throughout um now if it if it's just very unproductive i don't think it's wrong to to just stop and and admit that and say this is not you know if you've argued over the same points for two hours straight there's nothing wrong with saying you know, obviously, let's come back to this, or we've said what we need to say. Yeah. But I, I don't like to give up, um, even with even if the person I'm studying with maybe they're antagonistic, and so I think. But I think if you can restrain, if I can um, remain calm, that will bring a calmness, even if they're pushing an agenda or being an antagonizer. Most people don't just keep that up mm-hmm. unless they get a response. And so our demeanor, our attitude, um, the more we demonstrate, we're just wanting to, to study the truth um, 
I think it will decrease tension. Now, not always, and sometimes people are just going to keep um, kind of in an angry spirit, and you can't help that, and it's just going to have to come to an end. Yeah. But, I don't know, what about you? Well, I, uh, as, as maybe odd as it sounds, I like to touch from time to time to make a connection like usually like physically touch them? yeah like oh, I'm okay gonna, so if we're having a, a difficult conversation um granted if there's a table in the way right. like at a coffee shop i'm not going to be like <laughs> awkwardly uh, <laughs> grab my hand no but i do from time to time i'll touch people's shoulder or elbow mm-hmm. and just be like and it's i find that connection is always disarming mm-hmm. but also calming and then i always try to whatever they've come to me with that they're upset about. In these conversations, let's say it's some denominational person who's uh, maybe they've heard a, a view that I have on uh, grace or mm-hmm. on baptism or you know obedience, whatever it is. I'm going to hear what they've said and kind of repeat back to them the part that I agree with. And so if they're saying things like, you think baptism saves us, but we're not saved by works and... Uh, I just can't believe anybody would would have such a terrible false doctrine. I might, you know, reach out and be like, "Hey, I just this is what I'm hearing from you and and I just want you to know I agree that works don't save." And suddenly they're, you know, huh? I <laughs> right. thought I thought we were enemies, but you're saying the same thing. And just that moment, I haven't uh abandoned what I believe about baptism, but I I've certainly help them see that we don't have to be enemies on this. So. Is, it, is it ever for you guys appropriate to call it out and say you're being aggressive? I have, I can think of one time okay. when I said, I said, I'm feeling really anxious right now and I don't, I don't think this is productive. Mm-hmm. I've said that. But I made it about me, not right. about them. Okay. So that way they had the, in, instead of being put more on the defensive, I just expressed an I statement. And in therapy, I statements are really important, especially for couples in conflict. Right. So even though you're not a couple, uh, <laughs> you know, the idea is that um, instead of assuming somebody's motive or agenda or language, you're just expressing to them, hey, what I'm feeling right now is is, is anxiety mm-hmm. based off of, of some of this language. I'm going to take a walk. And he was, he was responsive to that. Now, build off something you just said, you're not a couple. There is something that I think that I've developed and realized over time. When you study with somebody, that is an intimate thing, though. It is a relationship building. That's a good point. And so, yeah, you're not a married couple, but you're not, you can't go into it thinking you're enemies or you're just opposites. It is something that if you really get into Bible, especially more than one with a person, you really begin to build close relationships because spiritual conversations are really intimate by nature and working and talking through salvation and helping people develop as Christians or in their relationship with God is an intimate conversation. And so over time, number one, you have to then treat that conversation carefully because just like you would with a girlfriend or a spouse, you want that conversation to be careful and to be mindful with the things you say. That's the same thing with a Bible study is you're building a relationship with them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm that's one of the most important aspects of Bible study is building a relationship. Because at some point, as you guys know better than I, you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to ask some hard things from a person. And if you have a relationship with them first, that's a lot easier than just being strangers. 
I'm thinking about Paul with Agrippa, and they didn't have a relationship. And mm -hmm. so he's presenting him the same gospel that he did a lot of other times. Mm -hmm. And Agrippa's response is kind of like standoffish. Right. And, but that's such a valuable point that um, part of a Bible study is not just a dissection of the Word, but it's application in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to get people to see that there's real-world connections here. And so that makes it very natural for me to share, not overshare. Mm -hmm. and that's a, there's a big difference between oversharing your sins versus saying, I was just as broken and wretched mm -hmm. as any other, other person, and here's what Jesus did for me. Uh, that's a vulnerability that you don't get in the elevator that comes from right. time after time studying together. And that relationship piece, because I know the— the audience that listens to this and kind of what you were saying to demystify the concept of a Bible study, that relationship is why I think all Christians should be working towards having Bible conversations yeah. because your coworker, you already have a relationship with your neighbor, your friend, whoever it is. Right. And you can sit down and already have that relationship with them. You bring in the preacher because of the expertise or the church leader sure. and there's already walls because there's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that make and not that a preacher can't come help or, you know, we love to do that, but we don't have that relationship. And so there has to be that building. So I hope that's an encouraging thought for, you know, anybody to think, you know, if you're sitting down to study the Bible, you've got a big hurdle out of the way if you've got that relationship. Absolutely. Oh man. I think about the people that I've helped lead to Christ and probably every single time, I, I just don't have the personality that some preachers do who are, they're, they're naturally salesmen, mm -hmm. they're real, and they're good at it, and I think that, that works for them. But for me, I'm not a salesman, and so it's very difficult to like do a sales pitch. <laughs> I've got yeah. to have something kind of built with you. I, all the studies that have culminated in baptism have usually been uh, at 5, 10, 15 studies right. minimum. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it takes even longer than that, but it takes a long time before yeah. they're ready to obey the gospel. To yeah. plug an old podcast that you have with uh, Bobby Cunningham, yeah. he talks about personal work. And I think he said in that podcast, uh, first Bible study, he doesn't even open his Bible. Mm -hmm. It's all about it's getting to know them. It's a person study, yeah, what he says. Yeah. And that's important for future studies. Mm -hmm. I was actually going to ask you guys about that. I have a paper with, uh, I was studying with a young man a while ago, and it's called, private studies with a stranger. So it's like somebody you don't have a relationship with. I think that's probably the one that's the most, uh, you use the word demystifying. So this would be the most mystical type of study, yeah. <laughs> that elusive stranger who yeah. right. you have nothing in common with. And so Bob says, make it a person study of them. How would you guys, in a scenario where you're, let's say you happen to have lunch at the park mm -hmm. and a person saw you reading your Bible and they sit down and they say, I would like to study the Bible with you. You know, <laughs> what, what can we do? How, how do you make this person study uh, connect so that you can then invite them to do deeper studies later? Part of that is just, it's not even really about Bible study. It's more just about personal skills, sure. I suppose. And one thing is try and ask questions about the person. Ask, you know, learn about them and not just in a mechanical you know, here's my five list of questions, um, but learn about them. You know, before I began preaching, I was in a sales position, and not that it's great to use your sales approaches to evangelism, sure. 
But one of the things we were always working on is how do you, you get a, a client that you're trying to work with, how do you just get them talking? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways most people will begin talking is to get to talk about themselves, not in an arrogant way, but when you find out what their hobbies are, when you find out about their family, when you ask about what's meaningful to them, they're typically willing to talk. Oh, yeah. And if you're actually interested, not just feigning interest, but interested in getting to know them, mm-hmm. um, that's it's it's a conversation and sure. show interest and and in those conversations you may find some shared interest that you can build on, maybe a hobby that you both enjoy, uh, maybe an experience or you know a place you used to live that they're familiar, whatever it is, a, a connection. And every time you build one of those bridges that's a connection, it just strengthens that relationship a little bit and builds a bit more trust so that when the conversation comes back around or you schedule another time to meet, um, you can start talking about more serious stuff. You, you <clears throat> asked the question to the stranger about family, and I, I find that one's really helpful mm-hmm. for future studies because if they happen to be a husband or a wife or a parent or a child, which... That's pretty much all of us. We've all been yeah. <laughs> some one of those. Any sort of relationship, uh, t- to call out that person, whoever they mention by name in study three or four, mm-hmm. is has a, I hate using the word magical, but it has a magical effect on, they're kind of like, oh, they, they do remember, yeah. even though maybe you hadn't talked about that person previously. Or, you know, when you do get together for your second or third study and you say, How, how's, how's so-and-so doing? Yeah. How's softball going? Or, you know, <laughs> I heard school's out. Are, are they enjoying their summer vacation? Yeah, those little things are, are sowing into their heart some trust that mm-hmm. complete strangers don't have. And that's what, like, what Nate was talking about. Those questions, when you ask, you know, where are you from? What's your family life? All those kind of questions, however you want to ask them. You have to ask them genuinely. Like you said, not just got to get through five five questions so then I can get to the Bible. Sure. Um, you have to ask them genuine because people will genuinely know too. Ah, this person just doesn't care. And then one of the things that I'll do, and this is something I forgot who taught me this, but it was now with phones, you know, when the conversation's over, I'm back in my car, I'll make a list and go to my notes and I'll type down everything I remember about the person. So that four weeks later, in another fourth conversation, hopefully I can't, if I don't remember, I can go back to a note section in my phone and say, okay, this is about this person. And obviously it'd be nice if you could just genuinely remember everything, but I can't. And so utilizing kind of those techniques and tools that you have to build a relationship with other people is important. I, in in the therapy clinic, you know, you're working with a lot of families Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. And so I have what's called a genogram, which is equivalent of a family tree, Mm -hmm. but it's like a relationship family tree. Who's, who's getting along with whom and who's got, you know, these connections. But I go three generations on the genogram so that I know you, your parents and your grandparents, or you and your parents and your kids, whatever it is. But I find having that genogram, they know I've got it in my hand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in session I might say, uh, your, your dog died uh, two years ago, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, he remembered my dog, you know. <laughs> so we don't have to have a genogram per se, but I'm just mm-hmm. trying to validate this idea of being knowledgeable of other people's mm-hmm. yeah. loved ones. It's helpful. Um, let me ask another question about a, a stranger, Bible study with a stranger. Uh, let's say that that first study or the first time, you, it's just kind of a get to know you thing. What do you want to know about um, 
their their Bible knowledge? How do how do you maybe test mm-hmm. it, or uh, that way you can have a common ground instead of you know jumping into we're going to study the the Greek on X Y Z and and you have no clue where they are in the Greek. How do you help, or how, how do you question them to find out where they're at? Of course, if you keep it simple from the start, then you can kind of get an idea. Sure. Um, now, just observing them, you know, if they have struggles finding, you know, any book of the Bible, and that tells you, okay. Um, okay, and you don't want to embarrass them, but, um, but if you mention a passage and they, they flip right there and they've got it, it's someone that's very familiar with their Bible, right. and just try and pick up on those clues. Okay. Um, I'm not really good at, I guess, questions, because I always feel awkward, and I don't want to embarrass someone. Um, you know, how much do you know the Bible? And they So I think for me, it's always just been kind of trying to pick up just through that conversation and even how they're speaking. And I mean, if it's just a complete stranger that comes up and sits down and wants to have a Bible study, you know, that just, but I don't think those happen very often. Most time the studies are someone we've at least met. Um, There's a reason that we had an opportunity to ask them or them us and just try and observe, um, and I've, I've been in Bible studies where I could tell um, we needed to keep things very basic. And I've been in Bible studies where I realized this person knows their Bible really well mm-hmm. and um, just kind of work with that. So as, asking questions is really awkward at times, especially a lot of us grew up with the mindset and with the maybe training from other or older preachers that we you know we give answers to questions that's what right. we do and so asking questions which is such a extra biblical mindset because we understand that Jesus asked more, more questions than he answered sure. and so if somebody you know random comes up to you and says hey I want to study about God with you or I want to study the Bible the quickest thing you could turn around and say what about God mm. or what do you mean about God mm-hmm. or what about the Bible and see what they if they say, I don't know what it is, but now you know. Or if they say, well, I want to study about why we believe God's the creator of all things. Or I want to study about, you know, the Trinity with some of the studies you're doing. Um, then you kind of know uh, a little bit more. And so just asking simple questions, which are not easy questions to think of on the spot. Mm-hmm. Or to even feel comfortable at times asking. Because sometimes I think we come to the conclusion that if we ask a question, we look dumb. But really, just trying to gauge where people are at. So if somebody says, I want to study about the Bible, well, what do you want to study about the Bible? Yeah. Do they have a, a a platform they want to start from? What are these two groups? What are these two sections? And trying to figure things out that way. But a lot of it is what Nate said. You're watching them. Right. And a lot of it is silent observation of how do they handle their Bible? How do they talk about their Bible or scripture? And then work from there. I'm glad that you had re- referenced Bob's podcast that I did here previously because uh, some of the things I have written down here are from that. But just to validate what you said about it may be awkward to ask a stranger questions, there are questions you should be asking yourself. And the, one, the first question is, do they have a Bible? Mm-hmm. So if, if you're going to have a Bible study and they don't, that should tell you right off the bat this is a ground zero, mm-hmm. you know, the second question was, can they find a scripture, which is what you mentioned. So by saying John 3.16, do they go to the table of contents or do they go mm-hmm. to the Bible? And then the, the third question was, are they Bible literate? 
So those are questions we're asking ourselves in yeah. kind of uh, as we're, we're processing it with them. Well, let's let's um, leave this this stranger, you know, on the park bench because, like you said, <laughs> uh, a lot of our studies are probably going to be in a in a network of mm -hmm. people that we either know second or third hand. Yeah. Like preachers don't have the biggest network in the community unless. Like you're spending, uh, that's that's your main ministry is to just be out and about. So a lot of times we rely on our members, right? Mm -hmm. their friends and family. So that's the connection yeah. point. How do you prepare for a Bible study? So let's let's say it's uh, you know somebody at church says I've got a sibling and they they were wanting to get together for coffee. Are there some general things you do to prepare for that coffee experience, or is it going to change from person to person? What's it like for you? I think Bible study always, in my mind, changes from person to person. Um, in There might be some foundational principles, like one of the things I always enjoy to study with someone at first is just an overview of the story of the Bible. You know, do we know why we're doing what we're doing in the New Testament in relationship to what God said in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and the effects of sin and the effects of Scripture on us? Now, if it's a family member from someone at church, I'll typically ask them and say, well, did they grow up going to church with you? Right. So mm -hmm. if they do, then I know that context. they... Yeah, get some context about the person. And then, again, with the same thing we've talked about in the past, that first study is I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to be authoritative in any way, shape, or form that would scare them away from a second study. Sure. And so it's a person study, but maybe because they have more of a history with the Bible, with the church, and with people I know, it then it goes quicker from the person study into a study of the Bible. And I want, if we can have a foundational understanding of what the story of the Bible is, that God created everything perfect. This is a complete snippet of it. Man sinned, and then God has been working to reestablish a great relationship with us. Yeah. And go from there into whatever we can study later on. Mm-hmm. I've, I think prayer is uh, before a Bible study. Usually if I'm in the car getting ready to go into the coffee shop or whatever, prayer is a pretty standard pre-study routine mm -hmm. for me. Um, I have been amazed at how daily Bible reading pops up in whatever Bible study is going on. <laughs> you know, uh, the Word is living and active right. and sharper than a double-edged sword. But it's just, I have, I, I'm amazed at how relevant whatever I read that day is to the, <clears throat> yeah. the needs of the person that I'm meeting. And that's a good point. This doesn't really answer your question but um, specifically, but it's something I think about a lot of building that knowledge when you're not having a Bible study. I think that's an important for us as preachers, but that's, again, for every member. Sure. Um, I remember reading, I think it might have been that Howard Hendricks book on uh, living by the book. He uses an example uh, of like flight traffic controllers when there's a problem it's it's the knowledge they've built up they don't that they have to rely on in the moment and if they don't have that knowledge and experience building up then in the moment there's a crisis mm -hmm. and that's one thing it's nice to prepare for a bible study and it, it that's so helpful but a lot of times whether it's the stranger whether it's even the family member we're going to see and we have no idea the background or just a Bible conversation that comes up out of nowhere. Um, we've all been in the experience where we, we don't have the background needed and the frustration. Yeah. 
but the more that's one of the reasons for the daily Bible study personally, because the more we build that up, the bigger the reservoir we have to rely on of, uh, okay, I came in planning to talk about Genesis or I came in planning to talk about Bible authority and um, they're talking about this. The, the, and some of that just comes with age and experience, sure. which we're all still trying to work on. Sure. Um, but that's why you, you've got to put that work in and you build that ability up to, to talk about what people need to talk about when it comes up. That, that makes me think of this question, the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, so you prepared for Genesis or you prepared <laughs> for uh, Bible authority and then you get there and they say, well, what about the rapture, right? Yeah. And so yeah. you're like, oh boy, how do you guys handle these uh, potential rabbit holes? Do you go down with them? Do you try to bring them out? Uh, again, the, we're talking very generally and so I know sometimes it's going to yeah. be either or, but if you right. had something specific that you wanted to accomplish what do you do whenever people start throwing things into the study that are off track? Well, you're going to have to come back next week if you'd like to hear the answers that Nate and Aaron give to what happens whenever a study gets derailed by something unrelated, going down, as we say, the rabbit hole. So, Please come back. It's a great conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you, and uh, I really enjoyed having it in the moment and getting the chance to listen to it again. So uh, I hope you'll join us next week. And until then, you can go to the website and check out all the resources that are there for you to utilize and use absolutely free. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.